What's up, everyone? My name is Jonathan, and I'm the host of the Venue RX podcast. Today, I am very excited to sit down with Alan Berg. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jonathan. It's so great to be here with you. You're listening to the Venue RX podcast, where we provide your weekly prescription of tips, tools, tactics, and inspiration to start or grow your wedding and events business. Follow along with our listeners as we delve into the exciting world of events. And make sure you check out our YouTube channel and social pages, where you can engage with our show hosts and guests. No matter if you're brand new to the business of weddings or an event pro, our mix of mindset and mechanics will challenge and inspire you. And now, without further ado, our host, Jonathan Amen. All right, Alan, let's jump right into it. Um, I have seen you speak and I have heard you speak. You have an incredible bio. You have an incredible, incredible bio. And for anyone who is listening to this on podcast, you should check it out on YouTube or vice versa. But you're going to have to check out Alan's links and the stuff that we're going to provide either in the description and, and even at the end, because he has a wealth of resources for all sorts of entrepreneurs. But I think specifically, he's done so much work in the wedding and event space. And so I'm, I'm so excited and, and thrilled to have you here, Alan. Um, let's start off with a little bit of a journey. Uh, how did you get into the sales and marketing space, but, but really speaker space? Cause you're an incredible speaker. Um, you're a CSP. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and kind of how sure. you got to be doing what you're doing now? So a couple of different journeys there. I, I, I was in sales for about 10 years before I got into the wedding and event industry. I uh, got into the wedding and event industry, uh, kind of the way a lot of people get into the industry, although I got in on the media side. Uh, I was in a different industry, uh, in a job that paid me really well, company car paid benefits, doing really well, hated it, just totally hated it. And I'm sure some people listening can relate to that. And my best friend at the time bought a franchise of a wedding magazine, called me up and he said, hey, listen, I don't want a partner, I want a salesman, I really want you straight commission, right? 1099, no salary, no draw, no minimum, no guarantee, no base. Oh, brand new industry, right? Nothing that we, either of us knew about. My wife was pregnant and her other son was turning three. So no pressure. Wow. I give back the company car, take a commission only job in a brand new industry. Um, but this is a life lesson because here I was in my, you know, my twenties, late twenties. And when my former employer, my employer at the time said, look how much money you're making. Like they actually took out a sheet and said, this is how much money you're making. And I said, it's not the money. And I meant it. I meant it. This, it was a total life lesson because I had heard people say that, right? You're in your 20s. You're a go-getter. You're doing all that. People say, oh, it's not about the money. I'm like, yeah, it's about the money. I want a better car. I want a bigger house, right? I, I want stuff, right? You're, you're, that's what you're going for. And I realized at that moment that it wasn't, that the money didn't make up for not being home. The money didn't make up for a job where I didn't feel like I had integrity. The money doesn't make up for that stuff. And that was a good lesson at the time. And I took this leap. I had never done outside sales. I had done sales, but I'd never done outside sales. Cold calling, outside sales. Get in your car, which I didn't have. I had to go get a car, because I had a company car. Bought this used car, $4,000 used car. Had, had 24,000 miles when I bought it. Three years later, had 117,000 miles on it. Wow. And I didn't do overnight travel, Jonathan. I, I drove around New Jersey and the Hudson Valley in New York, knocking on doors like yours and photographers and venues and caterers and florists and you know you name it. And that's what I did. And I did that for five years and then my wife and I ended up buying the two franchises so we published two wedding magazines. Wow. Did that for another five years and then the, the franchise company wanted me to work for them running their sales team on the Northeast. So Boston down to DC. So we sold our franchises back to them, went to work for them and four, month, four months later, The Knot bought the company. Wow. So I ended up at The Knot because The Knot bought the company that I had just started working with as an employee. I was a franchisee, but now as an employee. And I'm like, who is this company, The Knot? They were a brand new company. They're only a few years old. They had just had their IPO. And I don't know, is this going to work out? Well, 11 years later, <laughs> right, I was, I was there. Uh, ended up being vice president of sales. I ran the sales at The Knot. The local sales is the main revenue driver at The Knot. Uh, so I was there for 11 years. And I became the speaker because... Uh, let's see, April 1st of 2000, the not bought Wedding Pages, the company I was working with, and the VP of sales at the time in May said, listen, next month, the ABC, Association of Bridal Consultants, is having an event at the Boathouse at Central Park, and you're going to go speak for us. Now, I had been doing some speaking on my own for my magazines. I had been speaking, be totally self-serving, Jonathan. This is how it went. 
you know and I know that a lot of people get into the wedding industry and they're not business people when they come in. Yes. Some, some become true. them, but they, they're not. Now, a venue is a little different because of the infrastructure and how much you have to, the, 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 the pay to get in. But you look at most of the people in the wedding industry, the barrier to entry is zero, right? Mm -hmm. There's no schooling required. There's no licensing required. You may have all of those things. That's right. That It's good because it lets you get in, mm -hmm. but it also means you didn't have to have some of those other skills that you might have needed had you needed to make the, the investment. So it's allowed so many people to start businesses. Uh, do you know David Merrill? Uh, no. David Merrill. So David Merrill is a fantastic event producer, designer in Southern California. And I remember saying this one time at um, an ILEA event in Denver and, you know, how people started in their garage and stuff like that. And that the barrier to entry is low, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't then take that ball that you were handed and then get the education and do it the right way. And David, who travels around the world doing these amazing events, said, listen, I started in my garage. I don't fault anybody for starting in their garage. Just do it right. Yeah. Just do the right thing. You don't have to do what he does, but do the right thing. So this brings me around to the speaking. So he said, you're going to speak for us. Okay, fine. Well, I became the main speaker. I became the guy that spoke on behalf of the not about the business of weddings. I do mm -hmm. not speak about the colors and the trends and the styles. I don't care. I just saw that Pantone has two colors for next year as the new colors. Whoop-de-doo. I don't care. And the reason I don't care is because it's going to change in a year. Yeah. But you're still going to have to sell it. So this year you have to sell this yellow color and the, what was the other, purple or green? I forget what it was. But you're going to have to sell those colors. And then next year you're going to have to sell the other colors. So you still have to have the same sales skills. My advertisers in my magazines were having trouble selling and therefore they would go out of business and therefore I'd lose an advertiser. So I figured if I teach you how to sell, I'll keep you, right? Totally yeah. self-serving, works for both of us. So at the Knot, I became the main speaker. So I would create the content, I would go out, I would speak. And then in 2007, I discovered this thing called a webinar, which now is like pff, webinars, everybody does webinars. Okay, 13 years ago, wow. you had to explain to somebody what a webinar was. Like, where are we going to see you? You're going to see me on your computer screen. Really? How? Right? <laughs> you wow. Really, you had to explain to people what a webinar was. And I, I did webinars from, what was it? Uh, uh, I think February of 2007, sometime in 2007, every month until I left in 2011, at least one webinar, right? So I have, wow. wait, by the time COVID happened, you know, how many years later, I had so much experience already doing remote presentations. This is a no brainer for me, right? The, the technology changes, Zoom didn't exist back then, right? But mm -hmm. the idea was there, I was using WebEx. So WebEx. I was doing- Wow, that's yeah. I, so I, that's, that's great, I remember that, that's cool. WebEx, yeah, and yep. the technology, all this kind of stuff is crazy. So I'm speaking and also in 2007, something else happened. Now I had been doing presentations probably, since the late 90s. So probably about 10 years already, I had been doing presentations. And I spoke up in Montreal at an event and the knot sent me, and it was really funny because there was no trade show, there was no table for us. We weren't handing out any promotional materials, totally an education event. And the knot said, all right, you listen, we, we arranged for you to go speak there. And I was like, okay, you know, what do I need to bring? And they said, no, you don't bring anything, you're just speaking. So well, why am I going? If I can't promote our company, right? why am I going? And they're not paying me to come and Right, why am I going? They said, well, we told them you're gonna go. Yeah, all right, I'm gonna go. <laughs> so I, had, I was in Denver. My wife was in New York. Now we lived about 300 miles south of Montreal in New York, but about 300 miles due south. And one of our son's friends was going to school in Montreal, going to university. So I said to my wife, you know what? What if I fly directly to Montreal? And what if you see if one of the boys, they're actually triplet boys, they're going to McGill University. I said, what if one of the boys is around, we'll drive up with you. I'll meet you there. It was at the Fairmont Queen Elizabeth, which John and Yoko had their love in, little you know, point of interest there. So I go speak at this event, one presentation, like I'm going all this way for one presentation, but hey, cool hotel, my wife came up. I get off stage and somebody said, hey, Alan, that was a great speech, you're a great speaker, are you a member of the National Speakers Association? And I said, what's that and why should I care? You see, my identity, and this is a funny thing, Jonathan, how do you identify, are you a podcaster? right? Is, is that how you identify? Or do you identify with something else you do? So mm. I didn't identify as a speaker. I identified as vice president of sales or vice president of the not market intelligence or uh, many of the other titles I had while I was there for 11 years. And I said, what's that? They said, well, you should look that up. 
All right, so I go look it up, and it's the largest association of professional speakers. Hmm. Professional speakers. So here's the okay. difference. Uh, have you heard heard of Toastmasters? Absolutely. In fact, okay. I yeah, that's cool. Are you a Toastmaster? Yes. So Toastmasters is for people who want to learn how to present, right? That's mm -hmm. what you do. NSA, we're the other NSA. We're, uh, we like to say we're the, we like to say we're the ones that speak, not the ones that listen. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's it's it, it's a fun line. So NSA is for people who are already professional speakers. You already have to show your credentials that you're making money from speaking, based upon the number of speeches you do, or how much you get paid, or some combination. And one of the ways is if part of your salaried position is public speaking you could still join. And I'm looking at it going, hmm. It, it was either you give 12 presentations a year to groups of 20 or more, or group 20 presentations a year to groups of 12 or more. Either one I qualified. I was like, I do that. I guess I'm a professional speaker. I never thought about it because that wasn't my identity. And I think a lot of people can relate to that when you have these things that you do. Like, I'm also a musician, but I don't identify as a musician. Yeah, but absolutely. if you go to my Facebook page or Instagram or whatever, you'll see me playing piano. Yep. And, you know, I, I played, played in bands back in the days when I had hair. Uh, <laughs> hair bands, there you go. Uh, actually, I had to go to the stylist, right? I remember one of the stylists, and now it's like, there you go. This is easy. So Streamlined, streamlined. It, it is low maintenance. There you go. It is low maintenance, my friend. Don't 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 diss this. This is this is good stuff. The beard takes more than than the head does. The oh absolutely, so, and the beard yeah, can be crazy. Yep. Yeah, and and this is the COVID beard, so it's even more, <laughs> it's much more full. So here I am looking at this, going, I guess that's me. I guess I'm a professional speaker. So I said, well, I'll submit my credentials. They'll either accept me or they won't, and they did. And I went to my first speaker conference, right? So, so you and I met at Wedding Wire World, and then there's Wedding MBA, and then there's all these other association events. And I go to this event, and I say, whatever pitcher of Kool-Aid they were serving, I drank. I was like, I took the whole thing. I was like, these people around me, they understand. They understand what it's like to craft a presentation. They understand how much work goes into that. But the difference was my income wasn't from getting paid to speak, whereas mm. a lot of these people around me, they were. Not all of them, but a lot of them. I was getting paid, and part of my job was speaking. So what I realized, uh, it's partly my personality and partly because of the association, speaking is a craft. And if you want to get better at any craft, whether you're a caterer or a photographer or a DJ or a band or a florist or an invitation company or an officiant like Bethel, who you're going to interview, right? You have to work on the craft. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I never thought about working on the craft. I just did it. I, I got better every time because it's kind of a personal philosophy. I don't ever want to be the best I can ever be. I just want to be the best I've ever been. Mm -hmm. Right, and if you're the best you've ever been every time, it means you're getting better every time. Right? It's it's a, it's just a, a, for me a wonderful way to live life. No matter what I'm doing, whether it's playing the piano or or playing a sport or being a dad or being a husband, you know, can I just be better? Right? That's that's incredible. That is such a good nugget. And for anyone listening, I mean, I'm going to go back and I'm going to be listening to this again because that <laughs> is that's inspiring too. A lot of times we think, oh, did I do my best? Did I do my best, and that's kind of a one-dimensional way to think about it. And you brought up an incredible point that like when you think of just being better, like, and kind of moving the needle ahead, it totally ties to the concept of Kaizen and so many of these other things exactly. where you're just, just want to move the needle a bit forward. And if you do that every time. Right. Well, and that's the thing is you do want to be your best, but not the best you can ever be. You yes. want to be the best you've ever been. I and and I, I learned that from martial arts. Uh, well, you can't see it in my camera view here, but my first and second degree black belts in Taekwondo are on the wall. And I started when I was 39. I didn't start when I was 19 or nine, right? I started when I was 39. And I remember the master telling us, you're not striving for perfection. I was like, well, why not? Why wouldn't I want to do the perfect kick, the perfect form, the perfect break? Why, why not? And he said, because you can't be better than that. You can't be better than perfect. Like, oh, okay, I get it now, right? And a lot of my martial arts training has translated to my life. So I want to do this kick the best I've ever done, but not the best I ever can do, right? I want to write a speech the best I've ever done, perform a speech the best I've ever done, but not the best I ever can do. Mm. So what I tell aspiring speakers, and this again goes to Toastmasters, you have people critiquing you, doing all kinds of stuff. I said, I sometimes watch people speaking with the sound off. I want to see them. 
I want to watch the body language. I want to see how they interact with the audience. I want to watch their facial expressions. How do they move on the stage, right? And then sometimes I'll listen, like podcasts and things, but I'll listen to people speaking, TED Talks, whatever, with no video. I want to hear them. Are they engaging me with, with their voice? See, when I started doing webinars in 2007, we, we didn't have a camera on because bandwidth wasn't what it is now, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm not even sure if I had a camera <laughs> at the time, but, but we didn't do with a camera. So all you saw was slides. I was engaging you with my voice. And what I've learned how to do over the past 13 years is I don't need a camera. I actually had tech, a technical problem on a webinar the other day. I was, not a webinar, I was at a, speaking for a conference. And you know how on Zoom when you turn off your camera, it goes to your picture? Uh-huh. Well, mine's by itself going, picture, Alan, picture, Alan, picture. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> it's so distracting, so I just turned off the camera, and now it just went to picture. So now I have to engage people with my voice, just like the radio, right? Whether you're on the radio or Sirius or Spotify or Pandora or whatever, you're listening to someone, and if someone speaks to you like this, Jonathan, and everything that they say is like, the, you're going to be looking at your phone in three seconds. Mm-hmm. So what I want to do is engage you to feel like I'm speaking to only you. So everybody who's listening here now, I am speaking to you, Jonathan, but sometimes I don't have somebody to speak to. I don't have another person there. I'm, I'm, I did a webinar yesterday, right? And people are going to listen to a recording, so I'm not even live, but I want them to feel like it's live. I want them to feel like I'm speaking to them. And the tone of my voice, the rate of speaking, when I get louder, when it's something's important, when I get quieter, when I want them to engage them, this is all an art, right? This is all an art. Same thing with slides, you know, engaging people, not writing every word that you're gonna say on a slide and, and having the right visuals and things and not getting caught in the effects. I go low tech, right? Like I don't have a virtual background. My background is my books. You like my crown? Like I love it, I love like it. it. The it's books are up. solid, solid play. I'm a big reader. There you go. There you go. There's my books there, and here, here's all the different versions of them because Todo Mis Libros Disponible in Espanol, so in case anybody needs that, right? So it, it's so speaking, I kind of fell into, then learned it was an actual craft, and then when I left The Knot in 2011 and started my own business, I speaking was part of my income. I'm, now I'm getting paid to speak, and I'm getting paid to do sales trainings and things that I did as part of my job before. So the certified speaking professional, so a long way of getting around to that, the certified speaking professional is the highest earned designation for a professional speaker and a member of the National Speakers Association. So anybody who's a member, they had to qualify to be a member, so you're already a professional speaker, there's a list of criteria, and if you can fulfill that list of criteria, which includes how much money you're making from speaking and how many speeches you give and have given, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and taking certain classes and things, and have showing an unedited video of you speaking that four current CSPs have to review and give you an evaluation, all these different things, you can possibly get your CSP. However, as a salaried employee, under the old rules, there were old rules before 2013, I couldn't qualify. For some reason, you could be a member of the association, but you couldn't get your CSP if you were not a, your business wasn't speaking, right? It was part of my job. Okay. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. You let me become a member. Why wouldn't you let me do that? Well, they realized that and they hadn't changed the rules and updated them. Like webinars, you could only count four webinars towards your hundred paid speeches. Like, I do a webinar every month. I have hundreds of people on. Is this not real speaking? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, I did a webinar recently for for uh, the not for Wedding Pro, right? The Not Wedding Wire. Mm-hmm. I had what did I have fourteen hundred people on something mm-hmm. like that, you know, wow. live. So that's a real speech. That, that counts absolutely, and especially. I mean, and we're not even talking COVID now. It's right. It's a real normal. speech, right? Yeah. So. Um, they changed the rules, and the first year they changed the rules, they had this big influx of people, not just me, who were like, oh, now I can do this. So uh, it's the highest earned designation. There are some other acronyms that you can get, some other uh, accreditation, not accreditations, more like, um, uh, more their honorary type things through national speakers, but they're they're not something anybody can ask for. You get more or less nominated for things like that. So I got my CSP in 2013, that was great. And then in 2016, I was able to apply for my Global Speaking Fellow. So there's about 800 CSPs in the world. The Global Speaking Fellow is if you have a CSP or the equivalent. So if you're in the UK, they have their own version. Australia has their own version because they have their own version of the National Speakers Association. If you have one of those, 
the Global Speakers Federation, which is kind of an umbrella for all of these national associations, has this thing called the Global Speaking Fellow. So not only do you have to have that, then you have to prove that you've spoken in at least five of the nine UN designated areas of the world and some other criteria there. So I am currently, I believe, one of only about 36 Global Speaking Fellows in the world because I've spoken in 14 countries um, on five continents. Wow. How many continents are there? Seven? There's seven. Yes. Right. So I haven't yeah. spoken in Africa and I haven't spoken in Antarctica, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, I don't know how many penguins want to hear about the business of weddings and events. Hey, hey. They're in tuxedos. Yeah. They're in, tu they're in tuxedos. They're in tux I, it would be a formal affair. It'd be a black tie affair, actually. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be it. <laughs> I'd have to dress up for that one. But I was supposed to speak in Africa uh, last year and then possibly this year. And the one last year, they kind of got over the head with the conference and it didn't happen. They moved it to this year and we know what happened this year. So. I do someday want to get onto the continent of Africa and speak. This was supposed to be in Nairobi, Kenya. Actually, this year I was supposed to speak in, uh, do it sales training in London. Uh, my wife and I were going up to Scotland. Then I was going down into Birmingham, England to speak there. In October, we were supposed to be in Paris. I was speaking there. I was supposed to speak in Australia, uh, possibly the Greek Isle of Rhodes and uh, Columbia, South America. That was supposed to be this year, but COVID said no. No, you're not doing that. <laughs> so you're on webinars. You're back to on familiar familiar territory. Then. And adding countries, because I've spoken in some extra countries this year remotely. Uh, I Absolutely. did a, an Instagram live presentation for a group of wedding planners in Peru in Spanglish. Wow. I like that. <laughs> Spanglish. Spanglish. And you are fluent in, in Spanish. So I saw that on um, your bio. And as I was doing a little bit of research about you, that's incredible. I, I, mean, I, I taught myself Spanish what is it now, six years ago? Mm -hmm. I think it's about six or seven years ago. And this is why. I was in Mexico and I'm sitting at a hotel and that was in Cancun, right, that area. So everybody speaks English there because they have to for the tourists. And I just had this epiphany. I'm sitting there going, why is everybody speaking to me in English? I'm in their country, Yeah. right? I'm not in the US. Somebody comes to the US, we expect you to speak English. I don't mm -hmm. care where you came from in the world, right? We expect you to speak English. We go to your country and we expect you to speak English to us. <laughs> so true. That's and so and it's like, that's why we're arrogant Americans, because why should we expect you to adapt to us when we're in your country? Mm -hmm. So I said, well, you know, I took Spanish when I was in high school or whatever, and I was like, I, I could do this. Well, Spanish in high school, like Maria put the pencil on the table. That doesn't help you <laughs> when, you're, when you're down there, right, and down in Mexico. So I said, you know what, I should learn just to be able to say, hi, Jonathan, my name is Alan, nice to meet you, you know, how's your family, whatever, just... Just that's all I wanted. I yeah. just wanted to be able to be respectful of you. So I started with Rosetta Stone and then I went into Pimsleur, which is an audio program, and then I tried to pick some other stuff up. And, you know, long story short, which I'm not good with, but a long story short, uh, 2013, 2000, yes, 2013, I started learning Spanish. In 2016, I presented in Spanish in Mexico, Panama, and Uruguay. Wow. And 2017, I presented in, um, uh, what was it, Colombia? Yep, Colombia, South America. And then I presented in 2018 in Guatemala. Wow. Which Come I wasn't on. supposed to. I was supposed to present in English. And I said, you know, I can present in Spanish. And they said, yes. I said, do you want me to present in Spanish? They said, no, we're going to have a translator. And I asked them five times, Jonathan. I am not joking. At least five times. An hour before I'm going to go on. I'm in Guatemala City in his hotel. And they came to me an hour before I'm supposed to go on. I had two presentations and they said, we have a problem. I said, you don't have a translator. They said, yeah, the, the, uh, the tourism board was going to send one and they didn't send one. I said, all right, we got two choices. They said they can have somebody with a microphone standing with me and I'll speak, stop, and they'll speak, which is horrible because oh, yeah. there's no flow. I said, or I can present in Spanish. But fortunately, I had done these presentations in Spanish, just not recently. I said, I need an iPad. When I speak in English, I don't have any notes with me. When I speak in Spanish, I still need my, my notes. I didn't bring an iPad. Can you get me one? And they said, hang on. They go into the room. Just, just imagine. Imagine you're, you're, somebody's on stage. The audience is sitting there speaking. They find some guy taking notes on his iPad and said, we need to borrow that. <laughs> Oh my and he's gosh, like, okay. they and took he, one of the audience. And he hands him his iPad, right? <laughs> yeah, an audience member. So he hands him the iPad. They come to me and it's all in Spanish, right? Like all the menus are in Spanish. I'm like, oh, I need AirDrop. <laughs> I just, I need AirDrop. Where's AirDrop? I need AirDrop. I need Pages, Pages app. So I find that, I get my phone. This is technology at its best. I um, AirDropped 
the, I, I'll go to Dropbox, get my notes onto my phone, airdrop them to his iPad, matched my notes up to the slides because they had made some changes since the last time I did it, went to the second presentation, did that, and 10 minutes later I was on stage presenting in Spanish. Wow. And, um, and it was funny because I said, listen, you gave me 45 minutes for a speech, but in Spanish, because when you speak with the translator, you need to give time for the translator to catch up and stuff. I said, I don't need 45 minutes in Spanish. I need like mm -hmm. 20. And they said, oh, good. Then you can do Q&A. <laughs> Perfect. You're like, sure. This is what I, so I, right. I trained for. <laughs> I said, let's see what, see what happens. And I did my speech. I did my 20 minutes. And then I did my Q&A. And I, I you know, did it. I did, did as best as I could. Nobody seemed to complain about it. Uh, I think one or two people were kind of giving me a, a, a thank you nod, but like I probably didn't answer their question, but that's okay. Uh, but you know, how many people can do that, right? How yeah. many people can just on a moment's notice? Well, and Alan, I was going to say that's something that I am really appreciating about your story. And it's inspiring because, you know, a lot of people, they go to school, they go to college, right? Or, you know, they go to high school and they go to college and then they stop learning. And there's some professional learning that happens, sure, with their job. And um, it's maybe specific trade stuff or whatever. But a lot of times the learning really, really, really slows down. And what's inspiring about your story to me is you've continued learning. I mean, you aren't the same guy that you were 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 15 years ago. You've constantly been adding these new skills. And they're, they're diverse. You know, you, you just were telling us about the, the karate. You know, you're telling us about Spanish. There's these speakers designations. You already had the expertise that you had gained on the job in the sales and marketing side, working for the publishing uh, side of things. And so you already kind of had some of that marketing stuff, but you weren't comfortable just staying there. You know, you wanted to keep, keep going and being better. Right. Well, it goes back to that same phrase again. So none of us knows what we're capable of until we try. Mm -hmm. All right, so another great martial arts lesson. Have you done martial arts at all? Have you done karate or taekwondo or anything? I haven't, but I know a couple okay. of people who will be listening to this will uh, do, and and so it's going to be really They'll get cool it. Reference. So remember, I started when I was 39, so you got some time to catch up to me there, but I started when I was 39, so it's never too late. Uh, first degree at 42, second degree at 46, uh, 44, sorry, 44. I was six months from my third degree black belt when I had two uh, herniated discs, probably from Taekwondo, but that's when I stopped. I was like, all right, good run. I'm, yep. I'm good here. So here was a lesson. One, this is what our master would do. He'd come to us and he'd hold the board up a certain way. And this is an adult class, so anybody from like 16 to adults. And he'd say, who can break the board this way? Now, we'd never seen it done. He didn't even show us how to do it. He just said, he would hold it a certain way and say, can, who can do this? And half of us would go, all right, I'll try. And the other half would go, I can't do that. He said, well, you never tried it. Yeah, yeah, but I can't do that. Well, how do you know? You've never tried it, right? So that's the mental training. Mm -hmm. Martial arts is mental training. So then he said, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say to you, you, I'm not gonna ask you to do something if I think you might get hurt. So you won't get hurt. Who's gonna try this now? And the same half would go, I'll try. And the same half would still go, I'm not going to try. How do you know? Right? You, you just don't know. So what are you afraid of? If you're not going to get hurt, what are you afraid of? Looking stupid? Failing? Right? The, the fear of failure stops you from succeeding because success, the road to success is paved with failures. Mm -hmm. All of us. It, do you dwell on the failure or do you focus on the success? That's what it is. So... I never tried to present in Spanish. I said, I just want to be able to say, hi, Jonathan, my name's Alan. How's, you know, how's your family? And you know, that, that's it. Nice weather today, right? <laughs> Whatever. That's what I wanted to do. And I got to a certain point. I'm like, I can do that. I just didn't feel like I was done, right? Yeah. It didn't feel like this is the end. Yep. So I kept going, kept going. So now I'm conversational in Spanish. I can present in Spanish. I don't consider myself fully fluent because I know there are so many more words that I don't know than yeah. I do, because I'll, I'll run into that. I'll be like going along, hey, this is great. Hmm, how do you say that? Yeah. I don't know. And now I, I'm learning French because I was supposed to be in Paris, so I wanted to be able to get off the plane and go, hi, my name is Alan, you know, <laughs> right? Same, yeah. same thing. Yeah. So now I have a year because it was supposed to be this past October. So when I get to Paris next year, uh, je voudrais parler français. I, I, I would like to speak French. I love so, that. So um, uh, again, it's... I, most Americans, this is a crazy stat. I, I, I can't remember the source of it, but I've had people tell me that it's true. I, about 70% of Americans will never have a passport. Because of the size of our country, 
you can go so far to different places, right? And experience different things without needing a passport. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Europe, before the EU, before the European Union, right, you go from France to England, right? It's like us, me going from what, New Jersey to Ohio, right? It's, yeah, it's like, it's yeah. right there, but it's another country. Yep. And then and then England and then Germany and then right Poland and then whatever. It's like that the size of the US is bigger than all of that. Mm -hmm. So Americans don't have it. Well, up until really when I left the knot, I hadn't been to that many other countries, right? It's, it's funny because to get my uh, global speaking fellow, you had to speak in five of the UN, five of the nine UN designated areas of the world, not five countries. Mm. So I started counting up these countries. I'm like, do we even count Canada and Mexico? Right, because that's like our attic and our basement, right? Do, yeah. do we even count that? Yep, yep. Right, like where you live, right? Tijuana is right there. Right? Yep. It's, it's another country, but is it really? really good. Yeah, yeah. It really, you know. So now, just like when I wrote my first book, I was like, I don't know if I feel like an author because I think like almost anybody could write a book. Mm -hmm. Well, I have five books, and and two of them are in their second edition. It's like, all right, I'm an author. I, I I'll give myself that. I'm an author. Well, now that I've spoken in 14 countries. Yeah, yeah, I'm an international speaker. I've spoken in, in India three times, in Dubai, Dubai four times, in Australia. I was there twice last year, right? Yeah, I'm good. I've been in Uruguay and Colombia and Guatemala, right? Yeah, okay, good. I got my, I, I, can, I can qualify you can myself. I can, you can identify, identify as that. that. And so, that whole identification is, if somebody says to me, what do you do? I say, well, I'm a professional speaker. I, I do more sales training than I do speaking, but I still mm -hmm. consider myself a speaker now because it's, that to me, the, the, the people wanting to come and hear me, right, and wanting getting value of what I do, is such a, a strong. I don't something. It's hard to explain, right? It's like because some people say, "Oh, I would love to be up on stage." I was like, "I don't go on stage for the attention." Yeah, it's not why I do it. I go on stage because I can affect more people in a positive way from that platform. That's Absolutely. that's why I do it. Yeah. And that's very similar to the podcast platform. And that's why I love podcasts. And this goes on YouTube as well. You know, this platform allows us to create evergreen content that can inspire, challenge, and really help teach people who may not listen to it for a year. Mm -hmm. And they may come upon this podcast next year, the year after, and it might be someone new getting into the industry that really takes a lot of inspiration from some of this. Alan, I want to shift the the conversation a little bit and i want to talk specifically to the wedding professionals who will be listening to this okay. um but more specifically I, I want to quickly go back to something you said before because i love your observation that many people who get in the wedding and events industry are not professional business people mm -hmm. it starts as a passion it starts as a deeply creative person who loves florals or has an artistic you know uh, streak in them that, you know, the calligraphy or something like that. They were excellent at photography and they were at that job and there was a lot of corporate structure and they said, this isn't for me. I want to do something else. And a friend said, well, you should, you know, do the, uh, do the lettering for my wedding invitations. And that's how it's bake, bake, bake a cake for me. You take my, my son's girlfriend. She's got 22 first cousins. You know, somebody got married and said, Hey, Amelia, when you come, could you bring a, a camera with you? <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. That's and how she started doing weddings. Boom. And then it, and it goes along. So, but there is a decision that you can make, like you said, to either continually add to your skills and kind of take that ball that you've been given, like you said, right. and go to the next place with it or just stay very static. So right. let's kind of shift. Let's talk a little bit, you know, in, in these times that we're in right now, we've had nine months or so ooh, at this point, almost a year of a completely different environment. We had a wonderful 10-year run, almost a recovery in 2000, you know, in 2010, started from an eight and nine uh, mini recession there, right? And then mm -hmm. things have been a lot very of, good. A lot of new businesses started then too. In the a recessions is when a lot of new businesses start. So how many started then and were able to ride this wave for 10 years? And even my business, I left the knot in 2011. So, you know, eight years in, Mm -hmm. uh, last year was my best year ever. And the thing with the best year ever is that cliff is even higher to fall off of. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So for anyone who fell off of a steep cliff, I know yeah. in, in our staffing company, I own mm -hmm. a, a wedding and event staffing company as well. Mm -hmm. And we work with caterers and venues and, and, yep. and all of that. We fell off that cl cliff just like everyone else. Right. What advice would you give to the wedding or event vendor who you know has had half of their clients cancel, the other half reschedule, they may be kind of sitting on their hands saying, 
what do I do? There's a vaccine, maybe kind do we know yet? We don't know yet. Are things opening back up depending on where you live? Give some advice from, from your perspective in your tenure in the industry. Give us a little bit of, of your take on that. Yeah, I've been in the industry over 25 years and every other recession, the wedding industry has charged through because it's a recession resistant business. Mm-hmm. What was different about this is this is the first time in my 25 plus years in the industry that wedding professionals have been told you cannot do your job, right? It wasn't the economy saying, hey, do people want you, right? That's what happens in other businesses. There's a recession, people are like, well, I'm not gonna buy that anymore because we don't have discretionary income or whatever. Not with weddings, right? Charge through. I was at The Knot, I was VP of sales at The Knot on 9-11, right? Uh, no, I wasn't, I, no, I was with The Knot, I wasn't VP of sales yet, but I, w- I was regional sales director. For two days after the 9-11 tragedy, the traffic on The Knot dropped significantly. And by the third day, it was back to what it was before, right? Wow. As terrible as that was, yeah. it was back to where it was before. So it just shows you how resistant, typically how resistant typically. the wedding typically. events industry is, and but specifically the wedding industry, I think. Yes, you right, know, because, of, because of, right, events different. So this is what's happened here. The good news, the majority of couples have postponed as opposed to totally canceling. We might get some more cancellations the longer this might go on, but you do have people getting vaccinated now. You do have the Moderna vaccine coming. So things are looking better. That said, you know, people like you, you know, a younger person, healthy person, you're looking at could be a year, you know, or close to a year till you can get a vaccine. I'll get it a little before you just because of my age and some previous health issues. But, you know, I'm in group four, right? You know, my 90 year old dad might be in group three. You know? So yeah. right, we want to want to get us in there. But it's, it's looking better. The, mm-hmm. the great news is this still is a recession-resistant industry. If you think about all the business that is lost forever, mm-hmm. right, the opportunity cost, it's, it's lost forever. South by Southwest, the conference got canceled. They're never making that money back. Those local vendors, those local hotels, those local restaurants, those local bars are never getting that money back because that's done. But if you move a wedding, you move it, right? The, the revenue is getting postponed, it's not getting canceled. And the majority of the cases, be thankful you're in an industry where that can happen. It doesn't help when you're trying to pay your rent today, I get that, but it is looking much better for the industry. I also hate to say this, but it's a, it's a fact is, anytime you have someone that goes out of business in the industry, somebody else has to pick up those clients. Mm-hmm. So if you can make it through, all right? I, if, I write a free article every month on my website, on my blog. Uh, this month's article is called, uh, Lessons to remember in a year to forget. And, and it's hard. about things that are, we can take away from this year for the positive. So, you know, we all were told, hopefully told since we were kids, you should have a rainy day fund, right? You should have money put aside. It sounds like a great plan, except, you know, when I had two little kids and a mortgage and whatever, yeah, we didn't have money to put aside. And fortunately, you know, knock wood here, my kids are grown and you know we're not in a position where we have some of the expenses we would have had before. I, I'm closer to retirement than that at this point, although my dad retired at 76, so I'm probably not that close to retirement. <laughs> um, so we, we learn that a couple of things. Marketing is not an on and off thing. Marketing is an always thing. Um, there's a DJ actually in Southern California over there, uh, Jay, and Jay called me up and he said, listen, I just wanted to share with you that I've been able to keep my sales at the same level they were last year for the entire uh, time in the pandemic. And he did it by shifting to texting, by shifting, looking at his packages and, and stuff, not lowering his prices, right? But looking at his packages and the way that he sells. And most of my customers that have leaned in on their advertising and marketing, actually in some cases up, upping their spending, you can take market share from people that are crawling under rocks and waiting for it to be over, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's a constant thing. 2021 is gonna be the busiest wedding year probably ever. And a lot of people have to remember that if you want 2022 to be busy, you have to continue to advertise and market in 2021. Where some people think, hey, I'm busy now, I can pull back on the advertising. No, what made you busy is the advertising. So you have to look People in getting engaged now, getting married next year, 2022, you need to keep advertising and marketing. No matter how busy you are, if you wanna stay that way, you have to lean in. Mm-hmm. So uh, discounting, that's another thing. It's a, a topic I love speaking about and I love telling wedding professionals. So if you're listening to this, just think about this. 
every dollar you discount without getting anything of value in return is profit you gave away. Profit, not sales, profit. Because your expenses are your expenses. Mm -hmm. So what's left after expenses is profit. So if you're discounting without taking anything of value back from the customer, you didn't give away expenses. You didn't take anything away from them, right? So you, expenses are the same. You're giving away profit. Profit is your mortgage. Profit is your rent. Profit is your car payment. Profit is your vacation. Profit is your retirement. Profit is your kid's education. Profit is the money that you give to charities. Profit is that, mm -hmm. and you're giving that away. And that's why I love when I have a, 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 vent, a client of mine who's got salespeople on commission because I tell the commission salespeople, you know, when you're discounting, you think you're giving away the boss's money? You do realize you're giving away some of your own money. Absolutely, you're giving away the commission, part of the commission, right. yeah. So how much of your money do you wanna give this customer? I want you to think, not how much of the boss's money, right? Giving away Jonathan's money is easy. Giving away your own money hurts. <laughs> yeah. I want it to hurt. I started in this industry, I was on 100% commission, right? I had no salary, no draw. I, it was, I got a percentage of whatever I sold and that was my income. There was no, oh, if you don't sell today, you're gonna make some money anyway. No, zero. So I, I have like no tolerance for people who are like, oh, commissions, I hate commissions. I want commissions because the more I sell, the more I make. Yeah, I've, been, I've is... been in salary and I hated being on just salary because I couldn't increase my income. There was nothing I could do. It's interesting when I hear business people who have been in commission only structures, they are typically business people who are very strong, uh, just incredible, not only incredible people, but also people who run incredible businesses today, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm talking to them, because they've been in that environment where they've had to put everything, like anything that they want, they have to go get. There's no base. There's no, you know, soft landing in case they say, eat, eat what you kill, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah and eat what and you I think we're especially in this environment right now. So that's a powerful word. Um, yeah. Remember, I started, my wife was pregnant, our son's turn, other son's turning three, and I took a job in a new industry on straight commission, yeah. right? So I know what that's like, and it's empowering, as scary as it can be as well, it's also empowering. And that's what I loved about when I started my own business again you know, nine years ago, I can affect my income, right? I can work harder, I can come up with a new idea, I can try something. We talked about success and failure. Mm -hmm. Failure, a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Bruce Hale, he's another professional speaker, Fulbright scholar. He said success, I'm sorry, failure is just an unintended consequence. Mm. You tried powerful. it, didn't get it. But he said success is often an unintended consequence as well. Because mm -hmm. let's say, Jonathan, you said, I'm gonna try this. And it didn't work, but you got a different result and you're like, oh, that was pretty good. That wasn't what I was looking for, but that was pretty good. Right? And that's how we have a lot of products around us. That's how we have um, um, Velcro. That's how we have uh, Post-it notes, right? That's how we have different products. Do you know what WD-40 stands for? No. Water displacement formula number 40. 40. <laughs> really? Right? Yeah, WD-40, wow. water displacement formula number 40, which means there were 39 that didn't work as well or didn't work at all or whatever <laughs> it is, right? So that's what it stands for. It's, it's they, Water displacement 40. Water that's... displacement formula number. So we use it for uh, um, uh, you know lubricating and stuff. Yeah. But the intention of it was you, you spray this on, the lubricant removes the water, keeps the lubricant there, and therefore you don't get the rust, you don't get all that kind of stuff there. And just a little side note. That's really cool. I totally didn't know that. But a lot of stuff, a lot of things are mistakes. So for me, if the worst something is gonna cost me is some money, right? It's not mm -hmm. gonna cost me my life or my health or anything like that. It's, it's gotta be worth trying. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm working with somebody now on trying Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads and stuff like that. And she said, well, how much are you willing to put into ads? And I said, well, for this event, I'm willing to put in the cost of one ticket because it's only 15 people coming for this event. It's $500 per person to come to the event. I said, I will invest up to $500 because that's a break even. I sell one ticket. Okay, if I sold two, it was a win, mm -hmm. right? But a lot of people look and go, I'm not putting $500 into that. There's only 15 tickets. Yeah. Well, you're looking at the failure. I'm looking at the success. Yep. Yep, right. and, at, and at the opportunity and about how that's going to exponentially. And m maybe you make a mistake. You shouldn't be on LinkedIn. You should be on Facebook or vice versa, whatever it is. Oh, and what did it cost you? It cost yep. you some money, lesson learned. Yeah, No big deal. Alan, let's switch to a segment of our show called The Wedding Wheel. Okay. So we have to pull this out. What we do is we spin this wheel right here, and we then 
ask you one of these questions. You get to think about it for a little bit. We move, we have two other segments and then we come back around and we do this. So I'm gonna go ahead and give this a nice spin. Let's see what we come up with. All right. So if I gave you $10 million right now, what is the first thing you'd buy? Okay. So that's the question and we'll get back to it, but we are going to move to the left at the altar segment. And the left at the altar segment is the section of our show where we uh, ask you a question, maybe about a failure or a mistake, and you get to answer it. And the hope is that the audience will, you know, maybe be able to avoid a similar um, mistake or failure and, and it'll be an opportunity. So could you share with us something like that? Okay. I get so many different things I could go with. I'm going to go with something more recent. Beginning of the uh, pandemic, March. We don't know what's going on, right? We don't know if, what what was it, 15 people have it, it's going to go away tomorrow. It's just like the flu, right? All that kind of stuff. I fly home from Vegas March 13th, speaking at a conference, right? Not knowing it's the last time I'm going to be on a plane for who knows how long. I flew 140,000 miles last year. So not being wow. on a plane is just not... Wow. That's I was away 178 nights in all these different countries and stuff. It's like, thought of being home for nine months is just ridiculous. It's been decades since I've been home for even a month in a row. It's kind of crazy. So I wanted to do something and I wanted to do something positive. So I said, listen, if you're going to be home, maybe you want to read a book, maybe you want to do something, I'm going to give you a discount on my shop. But I worded the marketing in such a way that I said, hey, well, this is COVID-19, I'm giving you 19% off, okay? Mm. Some people took offense to it. Mm. Some people took great offense to it, you know, that I'm making light of this, whatever, which I wasn't making light of it, I was just tying in something, right? Absolutely. COVID-19, which by the way, COVID-19 is because it started in 2019. It's not the 19th COVID virus. It is, mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what that means. Some people think, well, it's the 19th one. No, it's COVID-19 because it started in 2019. It was just a poor choice of words. Mm-hmm. I... I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting, not a lot of people, but the people that were upset were really, really upset. Absolutely. So I apologize personally to any of those people. And then I did a mea culpa. I went out and I said, listen, my bad, my bad. The last thing I want to do is make light of this. I was not trying to, poor choice of words. You know, here you go. I've changed the discount from 19% to 20%, but it's not about that. I just wanted to let you know, I am sorry if I offended you, whatever. But I went out and I went out publicly and I went out on my email and I did it in a big way. I had more people after the mea culpa come to me and go, I wasn't offended by this, but I, I, I respect you even more mm-hmm. because of the mea culpa. Absolutely. And, and that lesson learned, which I think I already knew the lesson, but the lesson learned is... People are afraid to say, I screwed up. They think it's gonna make them weak. And I think it makes you stronger, right? I I think it's certainly what makes my marriage stronger is my ability to say, hey, it's my fault. Actually, I I jokingly say that our marriage is strong because it's always my fault. And I accept it, it's always (laughs) my fault and therefore everything's fine. And every once in a while, my wife will break this amazing wall and go, you know, you were right. And I'm really? That was right. So just, but it, it is, I'm not afraid to say, hey, I screwed up. Like, like I call tech support and sometimes, you know, you screw something up and you call tech support. Oh gee, I don't know what happened. I call tech support and say, listen, I F this up. All right, I need you to help me. This is what I did. <laughs> and I've had more tech people go, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for not like trying to hide it and say that, you know, gremlins got inside the box and did whatever. No, I screwed up. Yeah. I screwed up. I, I, I was a, a sales leader sales director, vice president of sales, sales director stuff, publishing magazines, I read my my sales team. I think my team and my people respected me for the fact that if I was wrong, I would say I was wrong. Yeah. You know, and and I think that's the important lesson. I was trying to do something good and it did not work. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? I went out immediately, immediately. Mm -hmm. And I said, I screwed it up, right? And this is what I'm doing to fix it. And and there you go. So I think that would be... That would be my left at the altar. Just it's you. You're not now. If you screw up all the time, that's a bad. That's a problem, right? <laughs> that's a different, totally different right. scenario. And the other side of that is, I don't have to crow about my successes. I let them stand on their own. I let people recognize those. Like 
my CSP, I wouldn't have brought it up if you didn't. My global speaking fellow, I wouldn't have brought it up. You know, my books, you know, they're conveniently behind my head over here. Most people marketing. know that. Sales yeah, and marketing. marketing. All that good. is sales yeah. and marketing. You know, live what you teach. Yep. But, uh, you know, the smartest people I know don't have to tell everyone how smart they are. The richest people I know don't have to tell people how rich they are. So, um, you know, the only thing if I'm going to brag about is that, you know, I have my health and my my, my my family and I have a fantastic family. I love my wife, my kids, my family. You know that I'll I'll brag about them. What you were talking about really is is taking personal responsibility, and I think far too many people don't take personal responsibility. They're easy yeah. easy to say, oh, that was my employee, or oh, that was my manager, or, oh, that was, and just mm-hmm. push push the blame because it's uncomfortable, you know, to yeah. to say that to get the, take the egg on your face and say, hey, you know, I I messed up, I goofed. You know, I, right. I need help. You know? Right. I think people listen differently. Um, I have a speech that actually turned into one of my books. This book here, Your Attitude for Success, I give a speech of a similar name. And I, I have, there's a personal health story in there. I had some health challenges. Like, in short story, when I got my first degree black belt, I had 90% blockage in two arteries, had five stents put in at 42, wow. by the way. At 44, wow. I had an angioplasty, but then I got a second degree black belt. So I told this story, I gave this speech one time, and somebody came up to me and, and they said, thank you, I really enjoyed it. My sister's dying of cancer and our family's upside down. You gave me clarity. And I said, did I share too much of myself? You know, that's a lot to share. Yeah. And he said, I wouldn't have been listening the same way if you hadn't. So the vulnerability gives you that respect that people say, listen, you're going to tell me the good and the bad. Uh, I think that's a lesson that we, we also can learn is bad news is going to be out there. And if you mm-hmm. try to hide the bad news, people aren't going to trust you when there's good news. So I just tell the truth. Yeah. What do they say? You know, the lies, you have to remember what you said, but the truth never changes. That's so. very, that's, that is true. That is yeah. very, very true. Um, you know, it's crazy we have this daily prescription part because I feel like you've already given so many incredible tips and things like that. If there's some practical tip, um, talk to, you know, let's say a wedding planner or even a, a venue owner or a venue manager. Mm-hmm. Um, is is there a practical tip that you would give to someone who's looking to increase their sales and yeah. marketing for next year? And maybe even starting now, what what would your uh, your tip be? There it is. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. That's powerful. It's short, sweet, it's powerful. It's powerful because you're so right, you can't. If you don't ask for the next step, now there there are mistakes people make and I I talk about this in my books and my training and master classes and stuff like that. A big mistake a lot of people get is they get an inquiry and they immediately try to get somebody to have a phone call, a Zoom call, a meeting, in person, whatever. And that's a high commitment action and they get ghosted. Mm-hmm. So I do want you to ask for that, but just not right away. But if you don't ask for the next step, if you, uh, if you don't ask a question at the end of your emails, why should somebody answer it? But if the question is for a phone call and they don't want to have a phone call, they're going to ghost you there. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know exactly when this is dropping, but I have a, a webinar I'm doing in early January on you know, why you're getting ghosted in a masterclass I'm doing January 19th, specifically 15 people on how to respond to your inquiries so you don't get ghosted. The wording, the specific wording to do. And what I do at the beginning of the masterclass is I, before it, I have everybody respond to me. I send them, I said, okay, here's the inquiry you just got, right? Alan's getting married. The inquiry says, could you send me package and pricing info, right? That just happens all the time to venues and wedding pros. I have them send me their response. Then we go into the class and about two hours into the class, I said, okay, now send me your response you would send now because it's not going to be the response you would have sent me two hours ago. Now what are you going to send out? And then we do, what if they don't respond? Now what do you do, right? And then what if they don't respond to that? Now what do you do? We have these five steps and stuff. But it's the, you know, the idea of you know, you're doing something, you're, you think you're doing it the right way, but it's not working. So what do you do? Do you keep doing it? Keep banging your head against the wall? Or you try something else. And... The, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. I find that a lot of people who are not natural salespeople, we spoke about not natural business people, not mm-hmm. natural salespeople, they just don't ask for the sale. They're expecting yeah. the customer to say, you know, here. So, uh, so many people in the industry, I had this photographer, Rachel, in um, Chicago, great photographer, fantastic photographer, not a great salesperson. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And I said to her, you know, you're, you, could, you could have asked for the sale here earlier in the conversation. You could just ask for the sale there earlier in the conversation. She was, you know, like, well, they'll think about it and they'll let me know if they're interested. I'm like, no, no. That's when I want to grow hair and pull it out because I'm frustrated. <laughs> I'm like, no, no. That's not even their responsibility. You're the responsibility. As the salesperson, you're doing, you, you, are, you almost have an obligation, if you want to think about it this way, to provide that service and to explain why yes. your service is the better service of all the services out there, but they need the service. And so right. you, you don't have to sell them. If I ever write another sales book, my, my first sales book, where is it? I must have it here somewhere. It's called Shut Up and Sell More Weddings and Events. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is, this is the caterer venue edition. There's a regular edition, a DJ edition. And if I ever write another sales book, it's going to be called Stop Selling and Help Them Buy. Because by the time someone comes to you, right? We're not talking cold call selling here. We're talking about like the wedding industry, the event industry. They go to your website, they see you on an ad somewhere, whatever, and they send you an inquiry. They're already interested. Mm-hmm. Just help them buy. Yeah. Right? What makes one venue different than the next is not the fact that you have tables and chairs and walls and chandeliers and stuff like that. There's more to it than that. There's the service aspect of it, right? You're, you're part of that with the service aspect. Yep. Right? The experience that people have, right? There's all these different things. And you don't have to sell them, but you do have to find out what else do they need to know to buy. And maybe they don't need to know anything. And you could sell them five minutes in. But I always say, well, you could sell them five minutes in if you ask, but if you don't ask, the answer is no, <laughs> yep. right? And, and then the other phrase, if, if I had to give you another phrase, it's going to be this one. Ambiguous next steps bring ambiguous results. Yes. That's so, so good. Both if of you're not specific, right, and I give these to my customers. If, if somebody buys a book on my website, I, I put promotional stuff in there and they get these two things there, which of course on the back have promotional material, including testimonials, because testimonials describe our brands. Right? Your brand is not your colors and your logo. That's branding, right? That branding. Your brand is what people say about you after they do business with you. So after a venue has you do staffing, right? And then they come back to you and say, wow, your team was so professional. They showed up on time. They did everything great. They were so nice. They even stuck around at the end and see if we need any other help, whatever it was, right? That's your brand, right? Your brand is not that I send people to companies that need people, right? Yeah. Right? Because every staffing company does that. Yeah, but why absolutely. yours, right? Why yeah. yours? That's powerful. You know, Alan, um, I want to move to your answer, but I'd love to do a giveaway. Okay. And I was thinking about this. What we're going to do is I'm going to buy one of your books. Okay. The book of your choosing. And we are going to send it to one of our listeners. We're going to do a little bit of a giveaway here. And also I'll give you more specific information about the drop of this episode so that we can, um, you know, see if we can um, offer that as a resource to anyone who's listening to this. Okay. Um, you said uh, the 19th, January 19th? January 19th is the masterclass. The, uh, the 6th, I'm doing a group website review. Probably we might not make that one. The 11th, I'm doing a, 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 a webinar, a free webinar, but the 19th is the masterclass. Got it. Okay, cool. So let's let's try to coordinate that. But what okay. I'd like to do is just think about the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the the sell more. Shout out and sell more. Events. Well, yeah. this ties into it because this is called Why Don't They Call Me? So which and is, that could be that could be eight, a choose. You tell me. You tell me which t- one it is. Eight tips for converting wedding and event inquiries into sales. So basically the masterclass is living this book and how to respond to inquiries. So that might be a good one. That might but, be a good but one. But again, could be could be the other way. Could be the other oh. way. And if it happens okay, to be a DJ, there's the DJ version. <laughs> oh, there you go. Let's decide after we okay. get to the wedding wheel answer. So, okay. <clears throat> the question was, if I get, if I give you 10 million right now, mm-hmm. what would you buy? What's the first thing that you I buy? I tell you, Obviously, the first thing, the first thing I would do if, if you gave me $10 million, I can tell you exactly what that would be. I would make my phone number unlisted. So nobody can call me all of a sudden and ask me for money that wasn't asking me for money yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And especially I, right now, that's... Yeah. I always said that if my wife and I, if we won the lottery, which we stopped buying lottery tickets, but I said, if we ever won the lottery, the first thing that I would do would be to change my phone number. <laughs> my gosh, right? Because you have, yeah, my phone rings. But now it's kind of <laughs> helpful. The phone carrier companies are starting to put in those like potential spam, yep. you know? Yeah. But it, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, relatives and stuff come out of the woodwork. So that's kind of a joking thing. You know, what would I do with $10 million? Yep. You know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I don't need $10 million to be happy. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, what would I buy is really a hard thing for me because anything we need, we buy. Need. Absolutely. Need, right? We buy most of the things we want, okay? We're in a, a position in our lives where, again, we're not, I'm not going to say we're not materialistic because we are, you know, we're, we're not non-materialistic. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't want to sell everything and live in a tent somewhere. We're, totally. we're not doing yeah. that. But, you know, materially, I have everything I need. Mm -hmm. I have most of the things I want. And a lot of other things to buy, I don't need to make, they're not going to make me happy. I actually, I personally get more pleasure buying things for other people. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So it would give me more pleasure to pay off my son's car, right? That would give me more pleasure. I've already paid off his student loans. But, but <laughs> <laughs> good for you, good for you. Yeah, d done that. You know, in, in, for me, it's like, could I put enough of that money aside that I'm not going to worry about money for the rest of my life? And then what else can I do? What good can I do for people, both in my family and friends, as well as for others? Because I don't need another house. You know, I, and I don't need $10 million to pay the mortgage off on this one. You know, I, a few hundred thousand will take care of that. It's like, okay, right? So now I own my house. Do I need a bigger house? No, I don't. I don't. No, but you know what? I take maybe, yeah, maybe three of that and say, okay, oh, that's mine. <laughs> you know, that's mine. I'll do the rest. But uh, after I unlist my phone number, then I would start thinking about what else I could do with that. I would love to be able to continue speaking without having to worry about the money. Because I don't speak for the money. Yeah, absolutely. I get paid because I'm providing value and because I have to pay the mortgage and stuff because it's not paid off. But I don't speak for the money. I don't say, oh, I'm going out. I give the same speech if I give it for free for $10 or for $7,500 or whatever it is. I, I get paid. I do the same speech. Mm -hmm. But I would love to be able to help more people without me having to have the, the personal burden of, well, I still have to pay the bills. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? That's really cool. Yeah. I love that. Well, Alan, where can people connect with you? Real simple. Allenberg.com. A-L-A-N-B-E-R-G.com. That's my website. My speaking calendar is there. There's a resources page, which is really helpful because any upcoming webinars, workshops like we spoke about, it's all there. Uh, my shop is shopallenberg.com. So you go to my shop. Um, if you want to get a free article every month from me, completely free, get, sign up for my list. It's connectwithallenberg.com. You're a straightforward kind of guy. I like it. Straightforward. I also have payallenberg.com if you so so feel inclined. Um, you know, I saw that. If you need to pay, I like that a lot. I was like, you know what? I need to add that to our sites here. This is great. Like a, just a, a little pay link that, you know. You pay can, Allenberg. I like PayPal that. makes it easy. They give you a PayPal me link. I just, I have a lot of. Uh, redirected URLs. So payallenberg.com could go to Square. It could go to PayPal. It goes wherever I want it to go. Cool. Uh, shop Allenberg goes to my shop. It, it's not the actual, well, actually that probably would be the address. But uh, if you wanted to go to Amazon, if somebody said, hey, where can I find your stuff on Amazon? Just go to allenberg.guru, G-U-R-U. will pull up my Amazon page with all of my books in English, Spanish, in Kindle, on audio. I've done all my own audio books in English. That is cool. a personal goal. I do want to do one in Spanish one of these days, but I've done all of them there. But allenberg.com, uh, shopallenberg.com, uh, uh, connectwithallenberg.com, and if you feel so inclined, payallenberg.com. <laughs> uh, I like it. I like it. Well, Alan, speaking of books, let's let's do that giveaway. So which one, okay. which one are you choosing? Uh, I'm going to buy it. We're going to give it to one of our listeners. And we'll send them. But what you have to do is you do have to go follow Alan Berg on the platform of your choosing. So we'll leave that up to you. But you also have to go follow us here at the Venue RX. Uh, if you consume this content on YouTube, we'd love to have you subscribe mm -hmm. and um, and just check it out because we're every single week release new videos with uh, inspiring and and really incredible guests like Alan here. So you won't want to miss that. Um, but you have to follow us there, follow Alan and, uh, like one of the posts associated with this, send us a message and, and we'll get you signed up for that. So, um, as soon as it drops, which will be in about three weeks, okay. we will, we will do this three weeks from the date of recording. So we're looking at mid, mid January, everyone. So Those are the rules. Alan, what, what book are we? We're going to do shut up and sell more weddings and events since you like that one. And, but well, I'll put this in there. Whoever wins can choose whether it's the regular edition, which is good for any wedding and event pro, 
or if you're a caterer or a venue, you can have the caterer venue edition, or if you happen to be a DJ or a band or a photo booth company and you want the DJ edition, you can have that. Or, todos mis libros disponibles en español, si tú quieres. So if you want, you could have, uh, you know, any, algunas de libros en español. That is incredible. That is incredible. Well, folks, there's a lot of options there. Thank you so much for joining us. Alan, I really appreciate your time here. Thanks for uh, giving us some of your wisdom and your story. And uh, I, re I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for inviting me. Stay safe, stay healthy, and let's do this again sometime. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Talk to everyone soon. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. Just before you go, I wanted to come on and say thank you for listening to today's episode. We would love to connect with you on YouTube, Instagram, and all of our other social channels. And I wanted to remind you, make sure you're subscribed so that you can be tuned in for those updates and you've got those notifications turned on so that you're aware of when our future shows are coming out. We have so many engaging topics and some really exciting guests coming up and I wanna make sure that you don't miss it. I also wanna say this podcast is really such a fun project for me, but in all actuality, it's made possible by you all and it would make a world of a difference to me if you took a moment and rated the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really wherever you're listening to this content. Uh, it would help out so much. You can find out more about us on the web at www.thevenuerx.com and pretty much anywhere else by just searching The Venue Rx. I also wanted to say we love suggestions for future guests for our show. So if you feel like you know someone who has an incredible story or really could add some value to our listeners, send us a message and let us know. And that's not just for those other guests, but for you as well. You know, if you feel like you uh, could be a wonderful guest on this show, please send us a message and we'll get that all lined up. We can't wait to hear from you. And thank you for joining us on our journey to inspire and elevate the wedding and events industry. I will close us out today by giving a huge thanks to the producer of the show, Andrew Apodaca, and to our very talented video editor, Imtiaz Tanjim. And last, but certainly not least, to you, our listener. We'll see you in the next episode.